0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process
1: in all genres. Talking about Room 1203, the story behind O.J. Simpson's Las Vegas conviction, and the author is Andy Caldwell. Uh, Thank you for being here, Andy. Well, thank you for having me. How did it fall into your laps to begin with?
0: At the time, I was a robbery detective there in Las Vegas, and the robbery occurred in my area of responsibility, so um, it just, by default, landed in my
1: lap. But were you surprised? I mean, I mean, how do they call? They call, you know, because it's not like he was robbed. It's- when, when we got that
0: call and told us it was O.J. Simpson, I think we laughed. I mean, that's it, absurd. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you think about what he's gotten away with in the past, why would he come to Las Vegas and commit a crime like that. Um, so so we
1: laughed. If people watch the show in A&E or, or read the book, uh, your uh, partner there actually uh, said a few things that we can't say on air. <laughs> <laughs> he did. <laughs> he
2: sure did. Yeah,
1: so it was uh, quite a surprise. Uh, and um, so were you skeptical at first or did you think, oh... We've got to go get this guy, or what, what was your feeling?
0: Yeah, you know, real skeptical at first. So after we get our laughs, and, and we did, we, we got our laughs, Then um, we still had to go there and figure out, okay, why are these people calling and, and trying to say they got robbed at gunpoint by uh, O.J. Simpson and a few other men. Um, and, and so it wasn't until we actually got there and um, my partner went up and looked at the surveillance video that we realized O.J. Simpson really was there I think initially we were even thinking that our victims might have been a little bit um, uh, maybe not in touch with reality, um, so
1: it, it took is. a while for
0: us to be convinced.
1: You must get, especially in Vegas and stuff, there must be calls all the time, you know. People are always trying to get famous and, and get in touch with celebrities, so you, it's got to be kind of keep you on the guard, right?
0: It does, yeah, because uh, in Vegas you do have them coming and going quite a bit, so um you never know what call is going to be real and involving a celebrity and whatnot.
1: not. So you went up to the room, and I enjoyed the encounter that you had with him. But uh, so maybe, maybe talk about that. When you first came to the room and knocked on the door and you came in, how how was he to U.S. police?
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I think what's kind of telling here is, um, you know, just like he was going to find the real murderer, Um, he wanted to partner up with me and help me get to the bottom of what I had to investigate. So he was incredibly welcoming. Um, You know, we didn't intentionally go in uh, to the interview at his his hotel room with uh, ten detectives. We were just going to go in with three. But when we went to his hotel room, he just invited everybody in. He was just over-the-top friendly. Um, And, you know, given the moment, you can't blame the guys who weren't supposed to go in. You know, O.J. waved him in and said, hey, come on in, guys. So um, everybody came in the room. Um, his personality is a little overwhelming at first. And, you know, I, I write about it a little bit in the book. Well, I guess a lot about it in the book. But there is a moment when you're starstruck by the man. Um, you know, fame, infamy, whatever it is, when you stand right there in front of him, his uh, personality is really dynamic and outgoing. And um, you get caught up in the moment.
1: Did he ask for a lawyer? What was his first... Response to you when he called he actually
0: called us and asked for the interview So he actually had already arranged and made clear. That he had a lawyer However, when we got there his lawyer wasn't present. Um, so you know, we were still we were still bound by the, the rules of Miranda and he, he invoked his rights so uh, when we get there he told us his lawyer was coming and That's when he invited us all in to wait for his lawyer uh, and that's he made all sorts of statements unsolicited um, that implicated him in the crime uh, because he just talks. He likes to talk. Um, and, you know, that's where we had our moment where we have a room with about ten detectives standing around him. And, um, you know, as he sits on the corner of his bed, my partner and I are right in front of him. He's playing with his phone in his hand. And that moment happened that I'll never forget. And, you know, he set his phone down in between his legs sitting on the corner of a bed. And uh, he continued to talk to me for a few moments. And then he looks kind of, you know, lost. And then he accuses me of stealing his phone. And I got caught a little off guard. And luckily my partner, um, you know, he says, uh, Mr. Simpson, it's, it's between your legs. And uh, when O.J. reached down and grabbed that phone, you know, they did a good job of portraying it in, in the documentary. He grabbed that phone and, you know, he caressed it on his chest. He threw himself backwards on the bed, he started laughing, and uh, he started putting his hands and arms uh, and legs up in the air and just wiggled on the bed. And here we stood, um, all these detectives in the room, just not knowing what we're looking at, and it went on for about 20 seconds, and that might initially seem like a short time, but it was a really long time of quietness as we watched this man do this. And then he sat right back up as if it didn't happen and continued
2: talking. Now, do you do you think that that was a tactic, maybe, that I'm going to have this plan B in my back pocket? If they find me guilty somehow, I'm going to claim mental defect as exhibited by this occurrence.
0: No. I actually think that he lives in his own world, and in, in his world, that's completely normal behavior, and he expects it to be normal for everyone who just witnessed it. Um, and, and it's just... Uh, after you deal with him more and more, um, you just, you come to the reality that he, he does live in a completely different world.
1: It almost sounds like he's on drugs.
0: Well, you know, um, he, he did have erratic behavior, um, you know, consistent in my experience with, with someone who was under the influence of some sort of controlled substance. You know what that is, I can't tell you, but, you know, he had, he had rapid speech patterns. He uh, his, his movements were uh, very fast, um, you, you know part of what I write about in the book was one of the things that helped me get over that moment of being starstruck in front of him was the reality that he was wearing the same clothes that he was wearing the day before. And, you know, that, that kind of sucks you back into that moment of this is just another, you know, just another guy that I investigate who's, who's a criminal, who's a crook, who's, who's just a street thug committing crimes. And, and and that helped bring it back. But then his behavior also helps see that, um, He's not really deserving of that. Uh, that uh, I guess that moment of being
2: enamored with his personality. Now, when you say that his personality was overwhelming, it, would would you say that that would be a, across the board for everybody? For example, I, I'm not a sports fan. Don't don't care. You know, I'm more into the intellectual pursuits. So would I have? Would he have the same effect on me? And and he does. And by the way, I would barely call Naked Gun a movie, so I don't know if I could call it a movie star.
1: I was reading the
0: line, right? So. I think the guy has um, this inherent ability to be able to charm people, and I think he manipulates that for his own benefit and gain, whatever the circumstance is. So I think he's able to, you know, we had all these audio recordings of him um, interacting with people before and after the robbery, and, and you see his ability to shift. Um, from memorabilia dealers um, to you know his kind of thug um, co-defendants um, to the law enforcement, so you see this kind of chameleon-like personality that that caters to each individual person to manipulate them for his own benefit. So yeah, I think even even those outside of sports fans or movie fans, um, he still has that ability to kind of charm you.
2: I, yeah, and, and I've I've seen that in where, where I work. Yeah, you know, I, I work in the corrections environment. But now, when you say that he's able to move back and forth? Would it be fair to say that perhaps he was exhibiting sociopathic behavior? You know, where they where they mimic emotions and are able to, like you said, camelize themselves into a certain group or a certain environment.
0: Well, I definitely um, wouldn't want to, you know, name which category he falls into. But man, I, I tell you that that was one thing that's definitely noticeable about him. Um, you, you know those audio recordings that we had leading up to and planning of the incidents um, that really revealed that character trait that he has, that, you know, sitting in a bar with a bunch of, you know, friends that he's planning a crime with, um, you know, he's very different than he was when he interacted with law enforcement, uh, very different than how he interacted when you saw him in courts or, or, you know, when you saw him at his parole hearing, he does transform very easily and, and, he appeals to his
1: audience. He's kind of used to that. He was a star for quite a few years, so he probably got used to, uh, you know, uh, smooth talking and and you know, carousing with
0: people. Sure, and I, I, there's, I, I believe, there's this expectation he has that everybody will do what he what he wants. You know, part of the reason he got rearrested uh, or his bail bondsman revoked his bail, and you know, rearrested and brought him back from Florida. And part of that reason was was he was trying to manipulate. Um, witnesses uh, through the bail bondsman. He was asking the bail bondsman to call co-defendants and ask them to tell him the um, messages from O.J. to his co-defendants, which he, he wasn't allowed to do. Um, and, and clearly, we have a voicemail, and he expects that to happen. There's no this might happen. You know, there's an expectation you will do this. And luckily, the bail bondsman had the integrity to say no. Huh, I'm, I'm not I'm not involving myself in this, and they arrested him.
2: Yeah, that's but,
0: uh, and intimidation. He, well, it's definitely a violation of the conditions of the parole. He definitely was not allowed to have any um, any conversation between he and the co-defendants. Um, so, yeah, he he definitely you know I think we saw it also exhibited pretty strongly in his parole hearing. You know, his parole hearing was, um, I mean, it was it, it was dishonest as dishonest gets. But his expectation is. Everybody believes what he just said, regardless of its actual
1: you know, truth. We see that with people that are um, rich and famous a lot. Right? right, almost
0: living in their own bubble.
1: Yeah, and, and they're used to having people around them that do a lot for them, so that just comes with it. Now, did he actually have a gun himself?
0: No, we, uh, we never established that he had a gun. Uh, but, you know, what we had was, and, and this is one of those misrepresentations that he made at this parole hearing, that he he consistently stuck with this story that he never knew there was a gun. And there's an audio recording we have that was very poor quality, but it occurred after the robbery acc- happened. And, and um, during this recording, O.J. Simpson's heard saying uh, to his co-defendant, hey, you never pulled that piece out in the hall, right? And the co-defendant says, no, 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 no. And then he then says, "Well, when they look at the video, they'll have nothing then." So that is straight right. coach. That is straight coaching
2: right there. Yes,
0: and and that that audio recording was so wonderful because I think it's the strongest piece of evidence um, to corroborate what the witnesses said that he asked them to bring firearms and that there were in fact firearms in the room because you know he has consistently said there were no guns or or that he saw no guns, uh, which is it's almost. It's so absurd, it's hard to believe, but once you get to see and know his personality, he lives in this alternate world that truth doesn't matter to him. What he creates, he expects you to believe.
2: Well, he got away with one of the biggest crimes in this century, just on that alone.
0: Well, according to to a parole hearing testimony... He said he's never been accused of using a weapon against anybody. Yeah, and he oh. said he. He said he's never been violent, right? I mean, <laughs> right. He just, he said that.
1: <laughs> and, and, so
0: you know, uh, but I think that's what made the case so fascinating. Is you know, you have, you have this guy that's so far out there, and you know, one of my biggest gripes, one of the reasons I wrote the book, was because I always hear these same kind of storylines of didn't he steal his own stuff back, and you know, it wasn't really a crime. In all actuality, it wasn't his own property back, and it was a crime. And I think, you know, if people give my book a chance, what they'll find out that, hey, this was a really violent encounter. It was a crime that he committed, and he deserves to go to prison for what he did.
1: Well, can you maybe run over the crime in a a quick form? So if people don't know exactly what he was arrested and sent to jail for, um, what was it exactly? There was a, a memorabilia viewer in
0: Southern California named Tom Ricio, who was aware of some family heirlooms uh, that were floating around out there that belonged to O.J. Simpson at one point in time. Um, Tom Ricio was aware that Simpson had just lost the rights to the book he wrote, If I Did It, and he was no longer going to get any proceeds from that book. So Tom Ricio was able to kind of manipulate O.J. Simpson's emotions and, and get him into a contract to exclusively sign some of those books uh, for Tom Riccio. In return, Tom Riccio was going to connect him with some family heirlooms. That was the initial plan, and it all fell apart. Um, so O.J. Simpson probably thought there was going to be different um, items in that room than, than what were actually there. Um, and so what ends up happening is for O.J. Simpson to, to agree to sign these books for Tom Riccio, Tom Riccio agrees to get O.J. Simpson in touch with this, this, um, these family heirlooms in Las Vegas. Well, when, when the family heirlooms kind of fall apart, uh, there's a last-minute fill-in of, hey, let's just bring some O.J. Simpson memorabilia um, and we'll, just, we'll bring O.J. to that and maybe that'll work and he'll still sign the books for me. Um, O.J. decided to do a little bit of side planning where he... He contacted some men to, to come with him as security, uh, to bring guns, and they were just going to steal the property back. Uh, and that's where it all fell apart. So the the property in the room at um, in Las Vegas was not what he thought it was going to be. And what ended up being in the room was memorabilia of, it was O.J. Simpson memorabilia. There was also Joe Montana memorabilia, Duke Snyder, Pete Rose, West Point memorabilia. And when he came in, he just stole everything.
2: Yeah
0: again, thinking it was somebody else's. And, you know, I know that's kind of a short explanation, but um, no, I, it, it is somewhat of a, a complex storyline behind what actually happened.
1: Yeah. I actually have his rookie card.
0: <laughs> Do you really?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, if you have his number, I can if you can get him to sign my card for me.
2: That'd be, that'd be, that'd
1: be, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there is this moment uh, when, when, so the DA
0: asked me to serve him with a notice of intent to seek, seek indictment so he was in jail already and um my partner and i we had to go down to the jail and we had to ask the jail to to bring him up now this is the first time he was in jail for one day at this point and we were made aware that he was causing problems even internally for the jail staff because inmates wanted to see him uh if he walked down the hallway people would uh they would make their way to the window so they could they could get a glimpse of oj simpson walking by and you know the blues and shackles so um, when we went to go serve him this notice, we did it in a place that was a little bit more secluded. And Eddie and I were in a room in and in, inside the jail, and we were sitting down at the table just waiting for Simpson to be brought into us. And um, we hear him coming down the hall because you can hear the ankle chains grab, you know, just dragging on the concrete. And you hear the key going to the door, and the corrections officer opens the door up, and here comes OJ Simpson. And, You know, the guy's looking down on the ground like you know, somebody stole his bag of candy on Halloween. And then he makes eye contact with me and the guy lights up like we're long lost friends. And, um, you know, gives me the, hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, sits there and tries to chat us up like, um, you know, like he's trying to catch up. Um, but the reality was Eddie and I were really busy at that time and I didn't have time to chat with him. I needed him to sign a form and move on. So I I, I slide this form off and he tries to kind of chat me up some more, and I tell him, listen, you don't have to sign the form, I'll sign it for you, all you got to do is give it to you at this point, and he finally says, okay, and he signs it and gives it back to me, after about a 10-minute interaction with him, my partner and I were walking out of the jail, and, um, you know, you, you hold this document that he just signed, uh, and you look down, and there's this kind of famous signature, and you think, wow, that's the signature that starts the whole court process on, on uh, one single document,
2: so. Again, for all the money he made off signatures, that one, uh, <laughs> that one put him in. Where is all of that memorabilia now? Well,
0: um, it went to the California courts, just like he said in his parole hearing. But ultimately, something like ninety-eight percent of it went back to the victim, uh, Bruce Frumont. Um There were a few items, I think Bruce said about uh, sixteen, that do legally belong to him. However, he could not pre- present. You know, evidence or receipts of them, so he didn't get them back. So, uh, the victim got back over 600 items that were stolen. Uh, and another thing that's not talked about much is there's still property that I was unable to recover. There's still memorabilia. I recovered some, um, um, I, I recovered some of the Joe Montana stuff, Pete Rose stuff, but there's still Duke Snyder stuff that was never recovered and Pete Rose stuff never recovered. But, um, I actually, about two years after the incident, the victim contacted me to let me know he'd got the property back, and he sold me three of the three of the pictures that were stolen from the room, which was kind of a nice uh, gesture of him. He, but he turned around and sold most of those documents. He sold them on eBay and Amazon for about um, two ninety nine a picture, I think, two hundred ninety nine dollars a picture. Two hundred
2: ninety nine dollars a picture.
1: Yeah, he, he 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 was selling them for quite a bit of money. So what was the biggest surprise you felt? Like this is the first time you ever met O.J. Simpson. And, um, what surprised you most about him? How small he was.
0: Uh, in fairness, I'm a big guy. I mean, I'm 6'5", pounds. So, um, I just, uh, when you open the door, I was surprised. I mean, the guy's head is huge. Uh, I mean, his, his head, it's almost like Darth Vader. You know, you stand in front of him and it's just, his head is just enormous. But as far as, um, his stature, he, he, he wasn't a, a big imposing individual, um, And then I guess the second thing that that caught me off guard was just um, how over the top charismatic the man was.
1: What kind of feedback are you getting about your book and about about the whole O.J. Simpson Vegas (laughs) story?
0: So uh, a lot of
1: so my book is um, I think it's carrying
0: about a four point eight rating on Amazon. I'm getting a lot of really positive feedback now. There clearly is a small percentage of the fan base that he has, and I'm pretty sure it's mostly people that don't work, um, because it seems like most of the messages I get that are really negative come during normal work hours. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, so there are some people, and the most creative one—I'll I'll give her credit. She did her own research because she found out I was a pastor now, and uh, she asked me if I praised God with my lying lips. Um, Say I've been called—I've <laughs> been called a corrupt pig. Um, I, I should keep a list of all the things that people have written me. Uh, yeah, yeah. But in in general, most people I, I are are really receptive. I think um, also most people are unaware of what happened. Um, you know, when Kim Goldman interviewed me last week, uh, those were her her thoughts. Was she didn't know the details of the crime? Um, you know, obviously she knew the conviction and the sentencing. But uh, and I don't think most people know what actually happened in that room. Uh, I think most people just go with what the defense said, that he tried to steal his own property back and got caught.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of armchair detectives, you know, a lot of those nowadays. And uh... Yeah,
0: you know, Simpson made this interesting statement um, because the crime that happened in Las Vegas was directly connected to the civil settlements uh, with, you know, he owes the Goldman's and Brown's for the wrongful death of uh, of Nicole Brown and, and Ron Goldman. And, and, and so it comes back to trying to hide property or assets from them so he doesn't actually have to, you know, give them uh, money. And what was really interesting is we had a recording of O.J. Simpson after the robbery talking about the property, fully aware that it wasn't the property he thought it was, that it included mem- sports memorabilia of other players, and what he tells his co-defendants is he tells them something along the lines of, hey, uh, you guys just keep this stuff because um, if you guys don't, it'll just go to the Goldman's anyways. Um, oh, so you, yeah. Wow. Right. You see this motivation behind it um, is, is to hide property, move property, uh, keep it away from them.
2: That's almost like offshore
0: accounting. Right. Well, you think about the, the nature of the sports memorabilia world. Um, so, if, if Bruce Romong, the victim, uh, who used to be a, a partner in a business with OJ Simpson, if he buys a picture for, for $5, um, you know, an 8 by 10, now he takes it to OJ and says, hey, you sign this for $10, and then he turns around and signs it for $50, OJ, for just simply a, a moment of his time, gets $10 under the table. Um, and then the, the, the memorabilia dealer, he's going to clear himself $35 because, you know, he has 15 invested in it. And now you, you take that process and you duplicate it 500 times fold, and you're, there's a lot of money being made under the table. I
1: heard this. Now, this came from um, Shapiro, and, uh, the, the lawyer from his first um, trial, and he said that the judge gave him 33 years in this conviction. Uh, one represented each million that he owed the Goldmans. <laughs> uh, do you believe that? Or? No. no. But, I, I mean,
0: I love, I love the parallels. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, if we look for parallels, um, in most things in life we can find some sort of parallel. So his prison sentence was 15 to 33 um, years. And, and But what you'll find is for every individual crime that he was charged with, um, you know, there's a sliding scale of what the appropriate sentence is. And when you just simply add up what the jury convicted him of, it just happened to be 33. You know, on, on that note, it, you know, had it been 32 years, of course, uh, Shapiro would probably say, well, uh, it was 32 years because that's his number of his football jersey. Uh, people would have always found a reason for it. I think it kind of goes back to humanity's desire to not hold individuals accountable. You know, he got held individually accountable, not because of outside influences, because he's a criminal. He's, he's, he's a violent felon, and
1: he got what he deserved. What did he think of the parole hearing overall? <laughs> he lied.
0: Um, <laughs>
2: and, and, uh, <laughs> hey, it's that simple. It's that simple.
0: <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, it was very frustrating because there was a moment in the hearing where he kind of snapped at the parole board member. And, and I, you know, I, I guess in my mind, I hoped that... The parole board member was going to uh, maybe maybe yank OJ's chain a little bit, and, you know, identify how inappropriate that was. Uh, but nothing happened, and so, though I do respect our criminal justice system and I understand that was his time for parole, I just don't think you should be rewarded for being dishonest.
1: Uh, we deal with that a lot with the uh, justice system overall. A lot of the people we talk to and do interviews, there's a lot of that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the system that we have. So, Hey,
0: and on a very surface level, I will tell you, I enjoyed that the Attorney General of Florida said we didn't want him back in Florida. And for all his stated intentions to go to Florida, I do enjoy that he is now living in Las Vegas.
1: What is your plan now, like, like with the book and everything? Like, um, Do you plan to go further with it, do talks on it, um, write more books now?
0: I, I still talk at conferences. Uh, at law enforcement conferences. Uh, I find that people still enjoy the topic and, and some of the, the pitfalls that I had during the investigation uh, all related to his celebrity. Um, so I still do give conference talks. I've contemplated writing another book. Um, you know, I have had some positive feedback, so that's encouraging. So, I, you know, I guess the future is kind of wide open
1: for that. Have you met O.J. Simpson uh, since the book or... Since all this has happened, or talked to him? No, but his lawyer has
0: sent me a couple messages. So, oh, you know, <laughs> such <right>. as <laughs> are they nice? Um, <laughs> no, uh, his lawyer is an interesting guy. Um, you know, I, I think he primarily was a uh, um, personal injury lawyer at first. The uh, basically has <laughs> accused me of being a liar and or, or mis- misrepresented because. Yeah. Um, he he doesn't like he didn't like the documentary and how the documentary represented his client. Um So you, you know, um, luckily I have the facts on my side,
1: so yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't have to live in OJ's
0: world. I can live in the world of truth.
1: Yeah, but now that he's out, aren't you a little bit worried? No, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I um
0: I I actually think that he, I I don't think he can care about me. I think he, he enjoys the attention. You know, I, I saw this um, clip of him in a, a white SUV um, the night after he was released from prison and the the media kind of rushed him out of gas station and started talking to him. And the guy could have ended the conversation by closing the door and leaving the window up, but he didn't. He engaged in conversation. Uh, he engaged the reporters. And, and he, he likes to be in the limelight too much, so I'm not really worried about him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would see that. I would see that. So what's the biggest thing people are going to get out of your book? They're going to find out
0: that um, he didn't steal his own property, man. Uh, that it was actually um, it was a crime, regardless of you know the conspiracy theories or, or wanting to find um, that maybe we prosecuted him for, for what California didn't do. Um, you know, there is an undeniable connection between the two cases, but it had nothing to do with, with that. And so I think that's what they're going to find. They're going to find um, that there's an actual crime. And I think they'll also get a glimpse into police culture um, in, in the fact that, you know, sometimes people, they see law enforcement as being very stoic and, and uh, they don't give us the ability to have personalities. And so I think they'll probably see some personality in the book of, you know, we laugh just like anyone else does. Uh, we hurt like anyone else does. And, and, and I think they'll see that throughout
2: the book. And, and that's fair. I mean, that, that is absolutely fair. People need to know the other side. They need to look at you as a person, not just this person or, or not, not just this machine that, you know, was, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, somebody that tormented one of their heroes. Right.
0: And, and I think maybe, uh, I think maybe that's another thing people will see in the book is that I honestly tried to the best of my ability to investigate every aspect of this case. And, and that way when I presented it to the DA's office, I presented, um, everything. If there was a possible alibi, I investigated it thoroughly. I presented it. If, if there was an alternate theory, I, I did everything I could to give them everything, whether it was good or bad um, for, for the prosecution of OJ Simpson.
2: Fair enough. Like, like I was saying now, now that the, the story is out and it's been on television and the book, you know, the, the books are rolling. How much celebrity status have you gained? I mean, are you doing more lectures? Are you in higher demand? And
0: so, um, part of this I think happens because, you know, when you put yourself out there and you're retired, you're, you're, you're more easily accessible. Um, so uh, last week will be a prime example. I, I got phone calls from uh, a Fox News reporter, um, CNN, uh, and also some local reporters out of Las Vegas that was curious if I would be willing to give comment on air about the shooting in Las Vegas. Um, so I, I find that opportunities have presented themselves like that, uh, but it's, it's really nothing I want to pursue, uh, at least right now. Um, Specific, I wouldn't, you know, that's, yeah. You wouldn't want to That's be like a
1: commentator on Fox or something.
0: No, I'm, I'm not
2: really interested. <laughs> but I will
0: tell you this: when I when I went to the parole hearing, uh, you know, I met Mark Furman for the first time and just you know exchanged um, some pleasantries with him. In fact, I, I would say that uh, when I when I he asked me if I would do an on-air interview with him, and when I declined, he, he wasn't uh, <laughs> he wasn't that friendly after that. Not oh, friendly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but he agreed to take a picture with me, and so I, I, I take the picture and I, I zip it off to my wife and I text it to her, and, and you know, uh, lickety split within about three minutes, my wife texts me something back and I open it up and my wife had created this meme, and oh, over no. the picture she said, she said one of these guys put O.J. Simpson in prison and the other one didn't, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, wow. I I quickly told my wife to please please delete that <laughs> No, says, unfortunately doesn't. I think that. <laughs> well, believe me, I had to twist my wife's arm to get her to not
1: post that. <laughs> post <laughs> um, it. That yeah. was. Yeah, he's one of my friends. I can. I can send it to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I um, I
0: didn't want to. I didn't want to stir that uh, that hornet's nest. But I got to tell you, it was funny. Oh, um, yeah. oh I,
2: you know, that's funny. My uh,
0: my partner and I, we taught a high profile investigation class for our department for years, and uh, he would start off with the introductions that... You know, uh, how many of you know who Mark Furman is? And, you know, of course, most cops do. Whether you have a negative opinion or a positive opinion of you him, know, most cops still know who he is. And then my partner would say, well, you know, how many of you know Andy Baldwin? And, yeah, a couple people would know. Uh, and then my partner would say, well, that's what you get for doing your job right, and that's what you get for doing your job wrong.
2: <laughs> 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 wow. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, there's always go. nice to hear. Yeah. So. And- and all of this based on a glove that didn't fit. Well, you know what's funny is I, in
0: in the presentation I do now, I, I did quite a bit of research. In fact, I think Mark Furman's book is amazing. Um, I, I, I read Marsha Clark's book, and I tried to read Chris Darden's book. I just couldn't get through it. Um, he's just too angry. But, um, it, you know, one of my hardest things to swallow was uh, when he was confronted about, you know, um, saying a racial slur. Yeah. Just say yes. It's not a big deal. Um, sometimes I think cops, we, we get so caught up in trying to maintain this image that we don't want to admit our failure. But just admit, I mean, we're people. We make mistakes. Let it happen.
1: Yeah. I think with him, but it was a little bit more particular because he um, he was pretty graphic and he, and he said a lot of really bad things. It's not so much the use of the word, but it's it, I think it's the context of it. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, it's something that you could never come back to. Uh, but the problem um, was they painted him to be a racist, which it sounds like he is. And then they tried to work the system as in, okay, that's the reason he did things. And, um, and that was, it's hard to come back from that. You know,
0: I think that's probably one of the, one of the reasons that uh, I was well suited for the case. Uh, in fact, you know, when we were done with the case—and I say we because it, it affected my wife as well—I didn't want anything to do with O.J. Simpson. I had no interest. We were approached by two people about writing a book at the time, and I just wasn't interested. I just wanted to close close the book, uh, impound it, and be done with it. Yes. Um, because it did. It, it consumed so much of my life, and primarily because you know I had close to close to 15 hours of. um covert audio recordings that I had to transcribe, and it, it took months to do. So I was just done. Um, and, and so I guess because I wasn't interested in pursuing anything at the time, it, 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 I was well-suited for being the lead detective on the case.
2: And, and people need to keep in mind that while you're doing all this transcribing and O.J. Simpson cases consuming so much of you, he's not your only case. You have a lot of, right. a lot of other things going on.
0: Initially we did, but the, uh, the VA's office actually called uh, our police department and specifically request that Eddie and I, um, do nothing but work on uh, that case, you know, and, and, um, you know, for their own reasons. And I think the reasons were righteous, uh, but it did afford us an opportunity to uh, do things we normally wouldn't do, uh, explore, uh, possibilities that we never would have explored. Um, so that was a good thing, but yes, Even though it was our case we were working, Eddie and I still had to respond to other cases. We wouldn't be the primary or lead on but we still had to respond. Las Vegas Metro Homicide, um, absolutely the best detectives you're going to find in the nation. Uh, There aren't going to be many people that can hold a candle to them. And I promise you, they are doing everything they can. In fact, I would even go as far as to say the the two guys or the squad that's actually handling the the major uh, lifting they probably know so much more than what is being released to the media that it would probably overwhelm us if, if we knew what they knew at this time so there's a lot of speculation going on and there's a lot of people coming up with these theories and, and um, you know the guys working the case have probably already they've probably considered these they've probably investigated them but you know there's just there's not a lot of time to constantly be briefing people when you're trying to interview large amounts of people trying to control information. and um, So I guess if I was going to make a comment, I would just tell people to trust uh, trust the detectives working the case. Uh, they're highly skilled, and uh, when it's all said and done, they have the best interests of, of the public at heart, and they'll give a full explanation to the best of their ability when it's done.
1: And people got to relax on the – you know, how are the um, these conspiracy theories, how do they affect you when you're doing – a case? Because uh, there's so many out there, you know? So, and with OJ, there's probably lots, and like you touched off on with, uh, you know, uh, conspiracies around him and, and stuff. How, how does that affect your police work? They are so incredibly time-consuming.
0: And, you know, I, I mentioned something earlier. Sometimes uh, people, they don't want to hear a simple explanation. They want it to be something very complex. And, and so. In their mind, you know, they want more of a conspiracy, but the moment they present that, that conspiracy, even as far-fetched as it is, uh, you're obligated to investigate it. Um, so it can be time-consuming. It can, it can waste uh, resources. Um, so sometimes those conspiracy theories,
2: uh, they're detrimental to the case. Yeah, they do more damage than good.
0: Oh, my goodness, you know, I, I had a murder in Las Vegas uh, back in 2004, and uh, we had the case solved. Uh, it was, you know, unfortunately, it was a vagrant who uh, poured gasoline on the top of a guy's head and lit him on fire. And the the, the victim's fiance, she just could not accept that um, that humanity could do that. There had to be, you know, an outside influence. There had to be more behind it. And you know, she tried to make it about the uh, the Asian mafia, um, how you know they were extorting people. And so she wasted so much of my time and resources investigating that and and being able to prove to her and now to a jury that that was nonsense. um, That It it was definitely remarkable how much we had to waste
2: on that. Now, is that simply out of due diligence? Or, I mean, certainly, you know, some of this stuff is just absurd. Right. In
0: this case, in the shooting case, it might be a little bit different. But if you're going to prosecute somebody for a crime – You know if if there's evidence out there that might help a defendant it's exculpatory in some way you have to then give it to the defense so if somebody comes forward with a conspiracy theory that even has a remote shred of possibility well in in honesty all conspiracy theories you should give them to the defense now it gives the defense wiggle room um, to create that reasonable doubt And, and Rather than giving them the conspiracy alone that creates reasonable doubts, out of due diligence as an investigator, you should be investigating it fully. So when you give it to the defense, you also give them um, why, as an investigator, you were able to debunk it Um, so it can minimize damage in the future, you know, in in the prosecution.
1: That's got to be hard to do because you can't always uh, debunk uh, a theory because there's just not enough evidence, right?
0: It, you just get to the to the best place you can with, with what you were provided, and um, yeah. and, and I guess the best, the most important thing is you don't sweep it under the rug. Uh, once it comes to the surface, you got to address it. it. Creates tons of work.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's so. It's got to be putting a load on the cops right now in Vegas because uh, there's so much flying around, and. Uh, most of it comes from the internet too. That's the worst part.
0: Yeah, you know, I've I've watched um, uh, videos about the uh, the shooter on the fourth floor and and, and the theories behind it. And it's just absurd. Um, and, and again, I guess I guess and, and the implication on some of these theories are that it's a government conspiracy. Right. And it it's just... was it
1: was Hillary Clinton is what I was told.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, my my <laughs> high level sources told me she did it herself.
1: Yeah, she she was on the fourth <laughs> <Yeah>. floor. <laughs> fourth, it, sometimes um you know people are just
0: they're bad by nature and they do bad things and and so it, it doesn't have to be this huge uh, i mean clearly it can be large conspiracies but it doesn't have to be
1: um you know i guess we we do have to look at occam's razor i think uh yeah he might have knew what he was talking about there <laughs> yeah and so that touches off on on cops and um shootings and even uh, racism and and What's your thought on that, being in the police force in Vegas uh, and uh, the high number of shootings that come out on, you know, on TV now and stuff? uh, Do you feel there's a racist element in the police force? And I know that's a loaded question. You can't (laughs) say yes, but...
0: um, Oh, no, I'm going to tell you no. I'm going to absolutely tell you no. I'm going to tell you from my experience with the people I worked around for, for almost 20 years on that department that... You call me in the middle of the night and say somebody's in your house. Um, I'm not going to ask you what's your race, what's your sex, what's your gender, what's your preferences. I'm going to come help you to the best of my ability. I don't care what neighborhood you're in, I'm coming. Every person I ever worked with would have the same mentality. Um, we want to help the public. We want to we wanna come to uh, a resolution of, and, and a righteous resolution to whatever your problem is. Um, you know, I think one of the things about those body cameras that, that police are wearing now. If you ask me, they should be rolling all the time. Uh, there shouldn't be times where, where law enforcement has to turn them off. Um, and, and, you know, right now there are. People can ha- ask you or request you to turn them off. And as far as I'm concerned, as a public official, you should be able to record every bit of your interaction and let people see what law enforcement actually sees. And I think it would shock most of our, our, our public.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, that, that when we had the chief of police from Seattle on, um, he sort of hinted toward lack of training um, as, the, as a problem. And um, what's your thoughts on that? Then if it's not race, and there's not a, a, a race or sexual problem here, what? why are we seeing so much more of this on TV?
2: Well, I, I think it fits a narrative
0: that, that, you know, the, the media wants to put forward. But I, real quick on, on what the Seattle police chief said, I do think that there is a lack of training in some departments. I think Las Vegas Metro is on the cutting edge of that. But I, I do think there is value in, in training of de-escalation, of, you know, trying to get people to calm the situation and, and bring everything down a level. And I think that's something that's it's valuable training for police departments to pursue, um, Let's let's de-escalate. Let's let's focus on de-escalation. Th- those claims uh, of racism in law enforcement, numerically they just statistically they're not there. Um, but unfortunately, I think you know we we get a story from Jimmy, and now Jimmy's word is gospel, and now we're going to repeat it, and 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 so we form our opinions off of other people's opinions and not facts. And suddenly, if you just look at the facts, there's not this systemic racism or. or or oppression that's coming from law enforcement. It's
1: It's been great talking to you. So now the uh, book is out and available of course and they can get it at all fine bookstores and it's by Wild Blue, Blue Press, so it's on their website and of course Amazon. It's called Room 1203 and it's the story behind O.J. Simpson's Las Vegas Conviction and the author's Andy Cal- Caldwell. Jeez, I'm And well, thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I appreciate
0: the opportunity.
2: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio
0: show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. The show is
2: over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well. Yeah.
1: Good night.
2: This has been a production this of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.